I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die historic on the Fury Road. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where it's important to lift people up instead of tearing them down in Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 98, which begins with Max shoulder-tackling a polecat, and it ends with Engine 1 coming back to life. With us once again, ready to go a few rounds with some Wasteland Raiders, are Doug Greenberg and Jason Haynes from the Rocky Minute Podcast. Greetings, greetings. Thank you for having us. Hello, hello, welcome. Thank you. Welcome, welcome back. <laughs> Jay's welcoming you guys to your own show. <laughs> <laughs> hello, everyone. Well, thank you. We're very happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us. <laughs> so normally you guys are used to two people in a contained environment duking it out one-on-one. -on -one. You don't usually have to deal with guys literally falling out of the sky left and right on these ridiculous sweeping mm -hmm. poles. How are you handling this fight so far? This is interesting because um, Rocky, especially one, very little action. Tiny, tiny bit of action. A lot of dialogue. So it's it's interesting to... It's good to talk about something with some action. Almost no guys falling out of the air, too. <laughs> Ooh, there was that one... Nope, nope, he didn't fall. Falling to the canvas, maybe. Not from the sky. No. This is what, I, what I, like I, I talked about on Monday when we were together. How I don't know why I've never seen any of these movies, but like this, this is nonstop action right now. This is I like I like action movies. Yeah. I like fighting. I like people killing each other. So I, I don't know why I've never seen this. I'm gonna go watch this one day. As far as like your typical like action movies that we grew up with, like Die Hard and stuff, it has these moments of action. But this, these action scenes are so long and so elaborate that I, I wasn't lying last time when I said some of the best action scenes I've ever seen. This was, a, was that off air where we talked about John Wick? <laughs> no, we, no, we got that in the episode. Okay, so like the, John Wick is exactly the same. Like the action sequences, especially in John Wick 2, they go on forever mm -hmm. and it's just nonstop. And you're just like, you don't know what to do with yourself when you're watching it. But you're it's fighting, like, it's like hand to hand and shooting, right? It's a lot of shooting. This has guys falling yeah, out of no, the this, sky. Yeah. This has chainsaws. It has explosions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is pretty this, intense. This is, yeah, these are unbelievable. It, they, when, when did the original Mad Maxes come out? They were in the 70s. early 80s, late 70s? 70s? First one was 1979. The second one was 1981, and then the third one was 1985. So all within six years of each other. I was probably really young. And then 20 years. Yeah, like 30, 30 years later. <laughs> what year is this? <laughs> I was probably a little young then, because I was born in 76, so... Yeah, you wouldn't... This, this might have been too much for me at this age. I might have been too young for this. Maybe that's why I didn't watch it. I missed the boat. Possibly. Okay. All right, let's get back to your show. <laughs> Doug, you were interested in the polecats at the tail end of yesterday's minute. Did you say that you like looked up a bunch of stuff about them? Yeah, the, the stuff that I read and, and really the journey that the idea of the polecats took. Because were they, were they working on another Mad Max featuring Mel Gibson back in like the early 2000s or something? Oh, yeah. They started laying the groundwork for this movie back in, I want to say, 98 or 99. Mm -hmm. And the production was plagued by one setback after the other. One of the setbacks was it rained too much 
in the desert yeah and flowers <laughs> wow. bloomed like they're trying oh my to God. shoot in this desolate area and there's flowers like everywhere that's in the desert you don't see many flowers it's, uh... the most rainfall that that area had seen in decades <laughs> and that was just one of the things that yeah that's that's a bad sign right off the bat <laughs> but they, so so george miller had this idea of the polecats way back then but at that time from what i read is that they had no way to make it a practical effect so they were going to cg all the polecat stuff in and um after compositing some stuff it it, it looked like garbage and then Throughout that time, before this started production, they found a way to make it practical. So all the all these stunts are are done practically on moving cars, mm. and and one of the keys was the um, the counterweight using like engines and and spare tires and stuff on the bottom. So so the guy on top can swing, and they have the counterweight on the bottom that other people would work to make it swing back and forth. Which I I don't know. I found, I found that really interesting. That if this was done back in the early two thousands when it was supposed to be. We podcast would you know we'd probably be making fun of them like I was yet yeah, last time. <laughs> it's nice that they did this practically because if they did try and do it with computer graphics, it definitely would not look as good, and it would probably age really bad. Yeah, especially the late nineties, early two thousands computer graphics. Yeah, it would look like Toy Story. <laughs> <laughs> I find it fascinating that because this movie took. 15 or more years to make that it ended up being a completely different movie. If it had been made in, let's say, 2000, Max probably would have been played by Mel Gibson, which would have mm -hmm. led to a different storyline of an older Max coming to terms with what his life has been and whatnot. Mm. And then after he just plain got too old and too crazy to do it anymore, Heath Ledger was next up on the list. Oh, well, really? the delays in production... Heath Ledger passed away before this ever got into place. So because of the delays, we have the movie we have. Mm -hmm. Have either of you seen Logan with Hugh Jackman? No. No. That story is all about Hugh Jackman as an older Wolverine from the X-Men movies. And it's him pretty much out of the game. And he encounters someone that pulls him back into that world of violence and fighting secret government goons and all this other stuff okay. and sounds awesome it is awesome it's it is definitely really worth a watch good. because they bring back hugh jackman they have patrick stewart in it. it's arguably the best x-men movie out there hmm. um, now do you have to um this is another thing like about about i like i've never i like superheroes growing up i love superheroes i love i, I have not watched enough of the superhero movies you get too far behind like i haven't watched it backlog I, I have not seen any of the avenger movies mm -hmm. and but x-men x-men i always liked x-men as as a kid i had all the x-men comics and but like that sounds like logan i every time i see the preview for it or see i'm like man this looks like an awesome movie i want to watch it and i never watch it <laughs> I don't, oh. put I don't it on your list yeah. definitely yeah. put it on your list but the whole crux of it is that hugh jackman is playing an older logan he's not as Young or as sprightly as he was back in uh, 2005 when they made the first X-Men movie. I don't know exactly when. Not important in this instance. But the whole idea of older character finding redemption late in life. Like that was the angle they were trying to go with when they still had Mel Gibson available. And Julia pretty much nailed it on the head that Mel Gibson kind of aged out of the role. Back in 1999, 2000, 2001, he was still young enough with enough energy that he would be able to do these things. And then by the time 
2012 rolled around and they're in Namibia, Mel Gibson's like, no, I don't want to do any of that. Even if he <laughs> could, no. the, if he was able to do a fraction of the stunts, like this, this movie would be so toned down mm-hmm. because of his limited like abilities at that point, right? I think it would have been a very different movie, very different tone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what is the, is there some kind of relationship between this Max and Mel Gibson or is this just a different Max? This is so him. it is the same Max. <laughs> yeah. Like, canonically speaking. Absolutely. Okay. It's just he suddenly looks like Tom Hardy instead of looking like Mel Gibson. <laughs> what is the time frame between Thunderdome and this? This movie does take place after Thunderdome. Enough time has passed that Max, when you start off this movie, he's driving his classic car, the last of the Interceptors, the XB Falcon. And enough time has passed between Thunderdome and the beginning of Fury Road that he has gone throughout the wasteland and piece by piece rebuilt his car. So that's either a series of months or years that it's taken him to do this. And he's basically shifted from the kind of guy in Thunderdome who will go to a settlement and will readily trade with people and do jobs to this guy who's hanging out in the desert, grunting to himself, not really socializing at all. And this movie is him rediscovering his humanity. Okay. So a substantial amount of time, you would think. Oh, absolutely. We like to joke that... The reason he looks different is related to a throwaway line from the third movie (laughs) when he's dealing with Master Blaster in Beyond Thunderdome. Master Blaster is this giant dude with a little dude on his back, and the little dude is talking about how he's the top dog in the place where they make the power, and he's like, I'm King Arab, and Max is like, oh, sure, I'm a fairy princess. And so we like to joke that Max is actually a fairy princess and he has the ability to become <laughs> younger. Okay. You can be a changeling. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I thought it was maybe the, the radiation has mutated him into something different, something much more handsome. <laughs> that works, too. I would not be opposed to that idea either. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever Max is... Here at the top of the minute, he is going to do some sort of crazy football move. He leaps from the tanker to the rig, and he just shoulder checks this guy. Might be more appropriate to say a hockey move, but I don't know how much hockey they have down there in Mm -hmm. Australia. But he knocks this dude with the pickaxe and the road sign shield right down. The dude hits the hood real hard. I thought that might have been because of the arrow in his hand. He couldn't grab or punch him. Which turns out later on it doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> but that's why I thought he went with the shoulder move. I think he went with the shoulder move because he knew he had one chance to remove this guy from the vehicle. Right. Knock him clean off. Yeah. Which it doesn't. Nope. <laughs> Ironically. It doesn't. And the guy's got a pickaxe type thing, which is a handy weapon to have mm-hmm. in, yeah, the, you're, you're in the apocalypse. T- you're your uh, garden tool of choice. Yes. <laughs> and max doesn't have any weapons on him at the moment so his best defense is a good offense and that is to get him completely off the vehicle yeah well the guy's got the shield and the pickaxe so he's got double the protection that max has he does just take him by surprise get him from behind and knock him off so the shield is a triangle shaped road sign that says give way which is essentially just yield Mm -hmm. julia does this sign look familiar to you at all just well, in a general sense. Well, I know I'm supposed to say yes, but no. <laughs> well, is that from the first movie? It is from the first movie. It's the only yes. one where we actually see road signs. 
in the first movie, in the opening chase, where you've got the cops chasing the guy in the black car, the Knight Rider, at one point, there's a couple of cops. They're the screw-up cops, and they're going to intercept this guy, and one of the cops has his shotgun leaning out the window, and he's going to take a shot at the Knight Rider, and the Knight Rider breaks hard, and the goof-up cops fly right past him, and a road sign that says, give way, is shot by a shotgun. And so, I'm pretty sure this shield is a direct call-out to that first movie. It does have lots of little holes in it. Mm-hmm. Are those the, the yield signs in Australia? Do they say give way? I think so. Yes, I, th- I believe so. Probably because saying the word yield in an Australian accent might sound <laughs> a little off. What would that sound like, Rick? Yeah, I don't yeah, even know. I was know. waiting for it. Like, I think you should give it a try. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need Jonathan. Jonathan's the uh, Australian accent. Oh, yeah. oh, they do. They say give way, give way. <laughs> All right. Give way. Give, give way. Yeah. It rolls so, off the Australian tongue a little yeah. bit better. I have a troubled Australian Give accent. Give way. Give way. Give. Give way. Give way. Give way. Okay. So you got to be careful because you might slip into New Zealand. <laughs> oh, jeez. Is there a difference? <laughs> we yes. had we had an yeah, Australian. That's when we get in trouble. <laughs> there is a we, difference. <laughs> we had an Australian guest on Rocky Minute. And Jay did nothing but ask him questions about the, the horrors that reside in Australia, like the spiders and snakes and stuff. <laughs> really, really reduced right. Australia to uh, nothing more than a, than a hellscape. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's what our movie is all about. Yeah, <laughs> this, is true. In, this is set in modern day Australia. This is their morning commute. Charlize <laughs> <laughs> sure trying to get to work. <laughs> You throw some spiders in here, it's really a... Uh, if there's one thing that these Mad Max movies lack, it's the presence of spiders. Because I can mm. definitely see them used in a very Home Alone sort of way. Like, the Ooh. raiders are crawling over all over the war rig, and Max just pulls a spider out of his pocket and drops it on his face. And <laughs> starts screaming at it. It does the Marv screen? Exactly. <laughs> well, you don't see spiders around because in the post-apocalypse, they're food. I was just going to say that. Could Either that or they're gigantic, and you are the food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this road sign pickaxe guy is able to get back on his feet pretty quick quicker than max and furiosa sees that he's about to get ice picked and so she slams on the brakes launching this guy forward off of the war rig and he goes under the wheels mighty quick i love this shot of him flying off backwards off the front of the rig it's so graceful and elegant (laughs) to his death Oh, you're right. It is. It's almost. It's like he's he's the only mm-hmm. thing that's going in slow motion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I'm venturing a guess that Furiosa stepping on the brakes here is what helps our black masked goblin climb up from underneath the tanker. Because as you see, road sign guy go under the wheels. You can see mm-hmm. the goblin dude climbing up the side of the tanker, just past those spikes that are welded onto the side there. You think that gave him a much-needed nudge? I think so. Yeah, I suspect so. What's with the uh, the look that Max and Furiosa exchange? Yeah, I'm not really sure. I definitely noticed that. It's very intentional, too. It is. You were supposed to notice it. I think maybe it's more of a checking-in-on-each-other look. Like, hey, you're still alive. Yeah, I'm still alive. <laughs> you okay? You okay? <laughs> I'm okay. I'm not okay. <laughs> So there, there was no question that these two are, are allies at this point, right? 
Right. They are unquestionably allies, but there's no romantic undercurrent. Mm. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't suspect there was. Um, I just I didn't know if it, I wasn't sure if this was the moment that he realized she, she's got his back, but it, it would have happened long before this. They have proven themselves to each other, I think, a couple times by now. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they've really bonded over working together. They work very well together. They're mm-hmm. a great team. Yeah, that, that's, that's a weird choice for that look then. I almost want to interpret that look as Max saying, wow, my plan to go this route really resulted in a lot more aggression than I necessarily expected because I thought we'd be able to outrun more of them at this point. Mm. As if to say, we done effed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and their presence here in this particular chase is entirely Max's doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. They are here voluntarily at this point. They had an opportunity to run in the opposite direction, and they were going to do it, and Max stopped them. Right. So maybe this is him saying, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> and this look doesn't get a chance to linger, because Max looks up and sees that another polecat is attacking him with essentially a sword. Mm-hmm. And our chainsaw polecat has hopped up and retrieved his weapon. And so Max does what he does best. He grabs a nearby person and throws them in front of himself. Operation Human Shield in action. Oh, yeah. He does a great defensive move, too. When the guy goes to swing the sword at him, he closes the distance. So the, the guy swings over his shoulder instead of a direct hit. Mm-hmm. Max doesn't have a lot of martial training. Like, he's not Bruce Lee right. or anything like that. He's essentially got 70s cop training mm-hmm. because before the world ended, he was a highway cop. And I don't know how much hand-to-hand mm-hmm. combat highway cops in the 70s had to undergo. Probably not a lot. Certainly in the first Mad Max, when he was actually doing the job of a cop, he didn't exhibit anything like that any of those skills i think the only fight he gets in in that first movie is when he's trying to pull steve bisley as goose off of johnny the boy in the police station like i think that's the only fist fight he actually gets involved in and that's not even his fight that's just him trying to pull his friend out of another one yeah Hmm. not a whole lot of hand-to-hand stuff no well i mean it's very effective here exactly max is a brawler he's very simple in his fighting style no Nothing finesse. technical about it. There's... Which is good because it, it doesn't seem choreographed like a lot of martial arts movies are. Mm-hmm. I think the difference in Max's fighting style or lack thereof in previous movies might be attributable to the fact that it's Tom Hardy in this role who is stockier than Mel Gibson. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure Mel Gibson could really pull off these types of moves and look as good doing it as Tom Hardy does. Mm. His body type, it looks like these things come naturally to him. Mm -hmm. If you put a Mel Gibson body type who is slimmer, I don't think it would look as good. They probably would have gone with different fighting style that matched him. Yeah, it seems like Tom Hardy can manhandle guys with with somewhat ease. Yeah. (laughs) If you got a slighter man, it might might not be... (laughs) As believable if you see him tossing these big guys around. Yeah, guys. right? <laughs> After watching Tom Hardy in a movie like Bronson, you can believe Oof. that he could wreck some guys just by the strategy of hit them hard before they hit you. It's <laughs> a good strategy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
And you want to talk about hard hits when that chainsaw guy swipes down at the polecat that Max is protecting himself with. The force of the blow knocks Max back and he tumbles over the rearview mirror of the war rig. And while the polecats fall to the ground, Furiosa reaches out with her mechanical arm and she's able to catch Max just before he hits the ground. Great catch. Mm -hmm. So something kind of weird happened in my brain when this happened. When I saw it, I was like, whoa, look at her grip strength. How is she holding on to him? This is amazing. It took me a while to figure out, like, in my brain to remember that's not her hand. It's not her grip strength. What she's holding him with is the strength of the leather straps that are around her torso. Oh, so which comes into play later. Yeah, yeah when we see one of them snap. Ah. Yeah, that's what, like, reminded me, like, oh, yeah, this isn't her arm. I'm not even fully convinced that the grabber hand on that mechanical arm is really wrapping around Max's leg to hold onto it. I think she just lucked out and it hooked on Max's leg brace. Yes, I think she's hooked on something. Yeah. Yeah, ever since that first movie, he's had that bum knee and mm. it's always held him back. But in this specific instance, wearing the leg brace actually paid off. I wonder what if, if it's hydraulics or something that that. Um, allows her to use the dexterity on that thing. I don't know. Like, what is it? We don't really know. There is a little, like, nubbin thing that looks like it might be a motor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Something that would drive a spring. Some yeah. kind of tubes coming off it. Yep. It could be, uh, what, air? So it could be like a little air pump. Mm -hmm. Like a tiny hydraulic kind of... Uh, yeah. We really haven't the faintest idea. Yeah. yeah, no, we can speculate all we want. It won't give us the damn answer. <laughs> the nope. lovely thing about that arm is that it is only the forearm. Like, she still has all of her elbow. She still has mm -hmm. the top of that lower arm. And so, really, the hand is just there to give her something to lightly grasp things with, like the steering wheel. Like, she can put that mechanical arm on the steering wheel and use it to hold it steady. It's not like she's doing any fine writing or calligraphy with her mechanical hand. She's not Luke Skywalker. It doesn't even have five fingers, does it? I think it only has three, like two fingers and a thumb. Yeah, I think so. Fingers in quotations. Right. They're more like claws. So she grabs Max. The important thing is that Furiosa is able to catch Max through moving quickly. Unfortunately, we've still got the goblin... On the other side. And I don't know how he's able to sneak past everybody that is in that rig, but he crawls oh. his way in. I know exactly how. They're all hanging out the window holding onto Max. Mm -hmm. Nobody is paying attention. It is nice to see all of them working together, but I feel like someone should be keeping an eye out for goblins. This old lady should have. Should. If you look at the second 28, he's sneaking up behind her. She's just yeah. standing forward. Who is so the deal with the old lady, that is the keeper of the seeds. She is the one who got her neck sliced open by the hedge trimmers. So oh. she is actively bleeding out through oh. her neck at the moment. That's why she's not moving. You know what it is? Toast had the starboard side. Oh. But she's been but snatched from the starboard side. <laughs> <laughs> she sucks at her she, she, she sucks. <laughs> The next wife in from the edge, that one's Cheeto, she should have then taken up the job of mm -hmm. keeping watch on that side. She should mm -hmm. have seen this guy crawling in through the open door. Yeah, but we both know that Cheeto is the worst wife. Oh. 
She's the youngest. <laughs> she's the most naive. She is the weakest emotionally. Mm-hmm. She has no convictions. Yeah, but I don't want to throw her under the bus that much because when people go under the wheels, bad thing happen. But she's going to do something redeeming later on. Not this week or the week afterwards, but I think maybe the week after that. It might be the week after. I'm not quite sure. But somewhere down the line. She's going to have her redemption arc. Yeah. All right. I keep saying about my own wife and it hasn't come yet. She's going to do something redeeming one day. <laughs> maybe um, the, not this week. Maybe next week or the week after. At the end of every week, I'm like, oh, well, so close. <laughs> so you told me the old lady's bleeding out so she doesn't, you know, this goblin slips right behind her. And the reason she doesn't notice him or or react is because she's having some kind of medical issue at the moment. Mm-hmm. But um, she seems to recover like she oh. without turning around. Like she doesn't even turn around and see him. She grabs the some kind of a bullet and stuffs it through his eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's not something that someone who's bleeding out and dying would be able to do. It seems like she's got enough left in the tank. Yeah, I think what she's done is held in that neck blood enough. That she can remain conscious to, like, be somewhat aware. And even if she's not completely aware of what's going around, when this goblin stabs Furiosa in the side and Furiosa lets out that, ow, I've just been stabbed in the side yell, Mm -hmm. the Keeper of the Seeds would say, oh, Furiosa is in danger. I'm going to shove my hand into this little bucket of bullets, grab some, and just kind of fling my hand back. And I think it might just be the luck of the draw that one of those bullets goes through this guy's eye hole in the mask and oh man there's just a lot of raspberry jam coming out of that mask yeah that's graphic yeah but is she some kind of is she's is there some kind of magic involved here is she like a sorcerer or something no just a badass <laughs> she's more of a botanist really yeah. <laughs> what did you call her the keeper of the secrets or whatever what keeper of the seeds yeah. she seeds. has a seeds. like a leather medical bag type deal and she has oh. been storing seeds. Oh, when you said like keeper of the seeds, I was thinking like some kind of wizardry or something. Nope. Like, she, oh, she's the keeper. She's actually the keeper of the seeds. Literally the keeper of the seeds. <laughs> See, sometimes it is fun to have somebody completely ignorant. Yeah, I missed a bullet on that one. When he said that she's a keeper of the seeds, I'm thinking like, oh, she's must be the magical one. They're they're trying to get her somewhere because she's she has holds all the secrets something in mystical. her powers. <laughs> Despite Monday's minute. There's nothing supernatural about this movie. Mm-hmm. No So witches. she is an old-ass lady with a slit throat who carries seeds around, but she was able to, to blindly take a bullet and shove it through this guy's eye? Yeah. A yes. one-in-a-million shot. Mm-hmm. I don't think she'd be able to do that again if she tried. No, because she's actively dying. <laughs> <laughs> By the time she has another chance to do it, she'll already be dead. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't let go. Is the, are the seeds in this like satchel she's carrying? This like briefcase looking thing. Yeah. yeah so she stabs lap. him in the eye and doesn't let go of the seeds. That that's a good seed keeper right there. I guess. Yep. So right. with our black masked goblin reeling in pain because he has bullets sticking into his eyes, mm-hmm. the wives act. Cheeto is the one with the orange looking bandana. She grabs the guy by the shoulder and pushes him towards the door. And the dag is the one with the tall boots. And they work together to throw this guy completely out the side of the vehicle. And the dag looks back towards Furiosa. And that's when we get to see that the knife that she threw into the guy's shoulder is now embedded quite deep into Furiosa's side. Oh, okay. Well, I think I missed something because 
I recognized that the knife that was stabbed into Furiosa was just like her knife. I'm like, oh, do they mass produce these at the Citadel? <laughs> no, she threw that knife into him and he yeah. now threw the knife back into her. I he get it now. He pulled it out of his own shoulder and thrust it. I, it's interesting that we see him lurch towards her and we see her scream, but we don't see the knife go in. Mm -hmm. That's a good restraint by the movie makers. A lot of times they'll go for the cheap money shot. Mm -hmm. And this, like her screaming, I think is far more effective than showing the knife go in. Because we, we kind of get exactly what happened. Yeah. Just by her scream. You get to see the aftermath. And so before you get to see that aftermath, it's like, oh, what the heck just happened? We saw the knife thrust. We heard Furiosa yelling, but we don't know exactly where he hit. And so you have to have the dag turn back and show everyone exactly where that wound mm -hmm. came into contact. I also have a, a question about the knife. Is the blade cylindrical? I think I the... I think yes, because it fits inside her gear shift. Right. Okay. I think what they've done is they've taken a cylindrical rod and they've ground it down mm -hmm. to be a two-sided blade. It's kind of like... like a two-sided blade or more like a needle? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I, I think of it more like a needle. Like I think what they cylindrical. did is they ground the circle down into sort of an elongated diamond shape towards the end. And then I'm it comes down to a point. At second 24, yeah. when he puts his hand up onto the truck, it should, it, we get a good shot of the mm -hmm. blade. It looks like it's a cylinder that's that's uh, ground to a point. Oh, yeah. Which I'm thinking would do far more damage because, like, a, a straight blade will leave a slit, which, you know, can itself close and, and stop the bleeding. But if you get poked with that thing, it leaves a hole. No two sides to come together to, to uh, help the clotting. So yeah. that thing's just going to leak. I think... At second 24 specifically, we're looking at the side of the blade because if you look at it, there's sort of a shadow that's cast down one side of it mm -hmm. because I think there's a shallow peak that runs down the center of that. It ends in a round bit. Like the round bit is down by the bone. Okay. I'll definitely agree with you there, but I'm pretty sure down at the tip. Either that or I've been seeing things. That is not completely out of the question. Okay. Oh, well, either way. It's been 98 minutes in this minute. I've seen a lot of things. If, mm -hmm. if half of them are even st actually there, I'll be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but if you go to second, like the, the, the one you looked at before when he's climbing up the side, it looks like a knife. It doesn't look cylindrical to me in that scene. And then when he's climbing up, it looks cylindrical again. But if you go to second 28, it looks it looks like, like a straight up blade again. Hmm. When he's uh, cocking it back. Yeah, it does look like a flat blade. A standard. At the end of the day, we're all technically right. <laughs> it just depends on what second we're looking at. Well, she gets stabbed with it. <laughs> yeah. The important thing is that Furiosa got stabbed, and that stab is also weakening the harness that's holding her arm on. It's gone between some of the straps, so they are now, like pushed out of the way a little bit. The entire weight of Max's body is what pulls that one strap completely off because it's just mm -hmm. held on by a rivet. Right. Yeah, this harness was never made to carry, I don't know, 180, 200 pounds? I think we said 180, 200 pounds, somewhere yeah. in that. It's question time. Yeah. <laughs> so We have time for one question. <laughs> <laughs> the keeper of the seeds here, she reaches into this box of bullets mm -hmm. and there's a lot of bullets in there. There's a bunch of magazines like them of bullets. Are there any guns? Does anybody have guns? I haven't seen any guns in this minute and a half. And if there is guns, why is anybody using guns? 
I think the problem is is that there are lots of guns and there are lots of bullets. Not much that matches. Okay, so we have we have okay. Yeah. In the movie as a whole, there's lots of guns, lots of firing, lots of people getting shot, but this is the climax of the movie. Most of their ammo that is usable has been used up. Okay. And the only ammo they have left is for guns that they just don't have. Like, Max, on his jacket, has at least two full mm-hmm. magazines. Right. Yeah. For something like a AK-47 or something like that. And for the life of him, he cannot get his hands on the appropriate <laughs> gun. It just isn't around. Was there an earlier scene with Toast that was sorting bullets, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And she said they only had four shots for, like, the 50 cal um, yep, rifle Yep, which they used up pretty quick after that scene. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Ask and answer, Jason. Speaking of toast, we get a shot of her here in the latter quarter of this minute. Furiosa is hanging out the window holding onto Max, and she looks back over her shoulder, and Joe is there in the Giga Horse, and Toast is getting pressed up against the window as a way to just mock Furiosa. For Immortan Joe to say, look at me, I've got one of them back already. And as he surges up ahead of the war rig, the other vehicles in the war party close in around the war rig in an attempt to block it off from any avenue of escape. They are closing in like a vice here. I found this moment, these few moments, kind of difficult to watch. It's the lowest point of the movie. Especially considering that we thought we'd already hit the lowest point of the movie when we saw Furiosa discover that her green place doesn't exist. That was an emotional low and really, really felt that. But this is worse. Mm. That everything is going wrong. They've lost another wife. The Vuvalini are dying left and right. Max is about to die. Furiosa is practically dying at this point. Like... It's bad. It's bad. (laughs) That's how George Miller likes to do his action scenes. At the beginning of the action scene, things don't go right for the hero, and it's up to the hero to draw on their inner strength and rise above that hardship in order to eventually come out on top. Doug and Jason know exactly what that's like, getting beaten down and beaten down and just persevering Mm -hmm. through the hardship until you can get a second wind. Yeah, it's the moment of helplessness where, uh, you know, you're at your, your highest level of despair when you see there's, there's, there's probably no way out of this. But you're right. The hero has to dig deep to find that strength. Okay. I find it interesting Comments? that that moment where the hero has to dig deep to find their strength, that moment is for Furiosa, not for Max. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Because Max is in a, a helpless spot. Yeah. yeah. Like he can't, he can't do anything <laughs> from where he is. So it's totally up to Furiosa. And at their darkest moment, there are these little lights on the dashboard and they are warning lights and they stop blinking because Nux, who has been crawling around in the engine cavity, we haven't seen him all this week so far, but he's been fixing those engines. And in the last second of this minute, he finishes his fixes and the revolutions per minute meter surges upward and the war rig is now better equipped to deal with the things around it. They don't have to be holding back anymore. But that pretty much wraps on this minute. So we'll put a pin in this. We'll come back on Friday. We're going to see Slit returning, looking to take out our hero. We're going to see Furiosa throwing some weight around. Nux will emerge from the engines to be helpful. And Max will bust out a classic move to deal with the People Eater's personal driver. 
The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 98 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.